Namaste and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny, the host of the Modern Mystic Podcast. And today I am thrilled to be having what is sure to be a fascinating conversation with Dr. Alyssa Apple. She is an international expert on stress, well-being, and optimal aging, and she's a New York Times best-selling author. She's a professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at University of California, San Francisco, where she is vice chair of psychology and directs Aging Metabolism Emotion Center. She studies the environmental, psychological, behavioral, and social factors that impact cellular aging and is also focused on climate wellness. She studies how self-care practices such as meditation and positive stress can promote psychological and physiological thriving and is interested in large-scale interventions for communal well-being and healthy equity. She co-wrote the New York Times best-selling book. I love this book so much. Everyone should go out and get a copy, The Telomere Effect, a revolutionary approach to living younger, longer, with Nobel laureate Elizabeth Blackburn. That's been translated into 30 languages. And she's got an upcoming book, Stress Prescription, which I'll talk about. So, Dr. Apple, I am on the edge of my seat to not only welcome you, but to hear the answer to the question I ask all of my guests, which is, what does it mean to you to be a modern mystic? Thank you, Kilkenny. It's it's an honor and exciting to be on your Modern Mystic podcast. I absolutely loved how you describe your podcast. It's so beautiful. And I knew you were going to ask me that question, and I wanted to get out of it by saying, I didn't know that I was, but thank you for putting me in that category. But I do consider myself a contemplative scientist and a contemplative practitioner. And what that means is that I don't just use science as my North Star in my research and in my life, but rather I am always trying to learn from and integrate the wisdom from practices from all the ancient traditions, particularly Buddhism, which is the one I'm most familiar with. And so in my studies, we have people do practices and it could be breathing, meditation. We also test lifestyle experiences. And while we can't necessarily measure easily spirituality, energy, transformation, there's no boundaries on what people actually experience. And so it's exciting to be trying to understand and study practices that bring in the whole person and that make them feel connected to others and to the world. And there's just a mystery to that that we can't reduce and measure well, but we try to. And it keeps me busy and interested. And we certainly find a lot of connections about what we can measure about the mind-body experience. Like, for example, that 
emotional states are associated with our cell aging, and in particular with our mitochondria, how well we create energy. So, so that was a long answer to what is being a modern mystic? <laughs> it is a fabulous answer. A contemplative scientist already. I'm like naturally so high. I don't know if it's legal. It's so fantastic, your answer. <laughs> and why I love your work so much, because you really do take in, in such a brilliant and efficacious scientifically way, the whole person and really the the whole circumstance of life and the gamut of life. And of course, you know, I'm a lay person, but it seems to me since time immemorial, uh, only up until recently, right, scientists did take in a more holistic view. Do you concur with that? That it's only, I don't know, the past maybe several hundred years that it's sort of been a little bit separated and there's a binary with a more holistic view of people's experiences when I conducting do. research. I, I think that's absolutely right, that we've become very, very boundaried and siloed. And we look to these very narrow disciplines to use their methods and their ways of knowing without really integrating even the humanities and philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I find your work really uplifting. And your book that I mentioned already, The Telomere Effect, which is a New York Times bestseller. And the reason I find it and use that word uplifting is because you really empower people, I feel like, to take charge and accountability and broaden their understanding that while aging and death are inevitably parts of this earth walk, we don't have to accept and acquiesce the notion that the quality of our lives and our health have to deteriorate at a rapid rate. You study and have proven that there are concrete actions and lifestyle choices that can improve our odds at living better now and living healthy right up to the end of our lives. So let's start here as an entryway to our foray into this conversation, because I feel like most people have this notion in their head that once they start to approach middle and then later years of life, that we just have to accept that the process of becoming an elder is in tandem with deterioration and health. So what would you say to this perspective that the majority of people I feel like share? You are absolutely right. We have such strong, terrible stereotypes about aging and the vulnerabilities, the disease, helplessness, confusion. All of the negative stereotypes are pretty much what we envision when we think about aging. And the reality is actually much more beautiful and nuanced than that. So while there is some inevitable decline in this physical body, there is a a ripening, a wisening, an elevation of our emotional well-being with age. And we can just see it everywhere. And it amazes me that we don't celebrate it more and really understand how to bring this wisdom out in all of us. So, so what I mean is that when we look at suffering and distress, depression, anxiety, stress, in every national survey, what you see is that our young adults are really suffering. So for example, in, during the pandemic, rates of depression, anxiety, I mean, they're up to 40% at least. Mm. But then you look at people over 65 and we're it's almost always one-fourth of that. It's 10% or less feeling 
real levels of stress or depression or anxiety. So just looking at real symptoms and dysfunction, we know that older people are more resilient. They come with more skills, more perspective. And then when we look in a fine brain way, what is the daily experience? They experience more positive emotions in their days. They experience a better balance between positive and negative, a more kind of stable, stable, sturdy, positive affect or well-being. They also have a smaller social circle that's more positive. They're not trying to maintain a lot of conflictual relationships or negative relationships. They kind of prune their social circle, circle to be a real supportive emotional tone. And those are all lessons that we can take with us now. Not, not sweating the small stuff is another psychological perspective that's more common as we get older, and especially in centenarians. So there are, there's a lot of beauty to living well that can come with age when we're not really suffering physical disease. Well, just hearing that is so inspiring, refreshing, and I think such an exhale for me, and I think for certainly our listeners, because you just... I feel like I've never heard that in my whole life. Like, oh, the wisdom, which, of course, I would contemplate and think, okay, and I know this, you know, that people as they age hold caverns of wisdom because of their life experience. But just as you said, that it's proven that there are less rates of extreme anxiety and depression. And to speak to what you said with the young people, I know I'm a college professor and it is, it's, it's out the roof, of course, particularly with the pandemic in recent times. Would you speak to please, because I love this bridge talking about sort of like the middle years, quote unquote, middle age, how in your research, you could have someone who's starting to approach middle age, let's say, you know, 50 ish. And they have a friend, similar age, and how one person can look and seem and be experiencing their health in such a dramatically different way. And you refer to it as the health span and the disease span and these concepts of them. Would you mind elucidating them and, and also speaking to how two people can have you know very different experiences as they start to age and how much in your mind is it nature or nurture or both? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, those are all those are all good questions. Definitely nature interacting with nurture. Mm-hmm. Nurture turns out to be much our life experiences and how we uh, respond to them turns out to be more important than our genetics in the chronic diseases of aging. So once we're over 50, the types of diseases we get are are weakly genetically determined and very much about lifestyle and mindset. Interesting. And stress, yeah, stress is really intricately tied up and and a determinant of our rate of aging. So in that example of two people the same chronological age, but their biological age differs, that is, that is definitely a small part genetics, a chunk of that is lifestyle, and a chunk of that is their how they've been experiencing stress in their body for decades and decades. So when we experience chronic stress, when it's ongoing, toxic stress, reliving and holding on to trauma or or worry, that simply speeds up our cellular aging in ways that we can measure and, and see. 
So we know in extreme cases, mental, you know, poor mental health and de- chronic depression are related to shorter telomeres, more inflammation, faster epigenetic aging. But the interesting thing about this whole stress science is that it's not just what happens to you. What happens to us is important. We don't want to deny reality. Some people have a loaded deck, a lot of childhood adversity that's that they're always going to be living with some imprint of. And of course, less resources and financial resources to cope. Those are real. We don't want to minimize the impact of those, but how we respond to the what life throws at us is so important. It really does shape how we might grow from adversity and actually improve our health and strengthen our stress resilience um, instead of having it kind of weaken us and and make us even more vulnerable to stress. So it's, you know, it's simply that chronic stress can accelerate our aging. And that's partly this mindset of holding on to it, not using any mind-body practices, not having enough support. And having short-term stressors is not bad for us. And in fact, when we create short-term stress in our body with exercise, with in things like intense breathing or intense yoga, hot, cold, these actually are like exercise for our cells, not just our aerobic system and our fitness, but they actually clean out our cells too. So there's this beauty to stress where short-term manageable stress can be, in a sense, anti-aging and can strengthen us. I love that so much. And I think that particularly for the young people, because I feel like I have two teens out of three, and I feel like their generation is so eloquent and able to articulate and you know, have this fluency in, you know, the ways of expressing anxiety, depression, stress, all these things. And yet I feel like too, it's like stress is like a bad word that they're scared of. (laughs) And so I love Mm -hmm. that emphasis. And for our listeners, you know, really take that in that the short term stressors, as you said, and we can go into more details about the ones you recommend, because I'd love to hear, but you mentioned, you know, short periods of hot cold or exercise or intense breathing exercises. Those are all things you mentioned, right? Can really help act as like a muscle builder, like an internal muscle builder, right? To process stress. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd mm-hmm. love to adventure into the scientifically groundbreaking aspect of your research about telomeres, which are part of your DNA because you and your professional partner in crime who wrote your incredible New York Times bestselling book have literally midwifed an entirely new field, in my estimation, of scientific understanding regarding telomeres, which is really, really profound and amazing and makes my mind expand and explode in all the best ways. So you alluded to them, you you mentioned telomeres, but would you mind articulating for our audience, you know, what exactly are they? And then elucidating your brilliant work about how you can grow, at least maintain the ends of them, the length and how that impacts directly our aging and even at times grow them so that our aging processes, you know, really don't accelerate. Yes, yes. So inside the cell, there are many ways we age. One of them is that we have telomere shortening happening crudely and roughly with aging, with our chronological age. So telomeres are these base pair caps at the ends of our chromosomes that protect our genes. Our genes create every protein in our body. They determine what proteins we're creating, but the 
telomeres, they don't, they're not genes, but they're, they're sensing the environment of the cell and they desperately want to protect the genes. They don't want our genes to create cancerous cells or create a wrong protein. And so when there's trouble, when they detect there's too much oxidative stress or cortisol or inflammation, there's bad news in the cell, they will send out signals, damage signals that say, stop this cell right now. The cell can go into cell cycle arrest. Mm. It can go into either death, apoptosis, or it could go into a frozen state. We call an old senescent cell where it becomes pro-inflammatory. So it's kind of disabled its ability to do bad, to create cancer cells, but it's become an old age cell. And so we want to protect our telomeres. We want to keep them long so that they don't send out this cry for, for help that creates either death or an old cell. So what that when the telomeres get too short, the cell stops being able to replicate and replenish tissue. So not only does it turn to do bad things, it's no longer part of our healthy tissue and we can't recreate new immune cells, for example, or the brain cells of the hippocampus or cardiovascular lining. So, you know, a lot of our tissues, we just need to keep replicating the cells and replenishing. And we can't do that if we're, if we're leading a lifestyle, either through our health behaviors or our mental health, that's creating this stress soup in our cells that, that cause the telomeres to go bad early, to shorten early. And it's not, so we can measure these in blood they, turn, they predict early disease and death in large population studies. They're not much use to an individual. Some people measure them. I have a section on my website that says, if you're going to measure them, know all of these things. Keep it in context. Don't panic. The measures are not very accurate yet. But the other piece of the story is that every way that our cells maintain health are really interconnected. And so we... Well, we don't, well, we can now measure telomeres well and see that they're affected by our lifestyle and improved by mind-body interventions. That is just one way we age. And it's really a whole body system. Everything's related. Our nervous system, our stress hormones, these different cell aging mechanisms. So it's, so the same thing that keeps our heart healthy and our brain healthy keeps our cells healthy. And that's the good news. There's a lot of things we can do every day, small nudges that add up over years that keep our telomeres long, that keep our inflammation down. So, so that's the empowerment yes. part. And our mindset matters too. And I, I think what of interest to you, Kilkenny, and your audience is understanding our present-oriented state and how healthy that is. So we've measured mind wandering. We, we ping people uh, morning and night. We ask them to explain to us how much they were in the present engaged in what they're doing. Maybe like a flow, flow state versus how much they were mind watering. They were thinking about something else or wishing they were somewhere else. And the presence and engagement is associated with not just better mood and happiness, but longer telomeres and greater levels of telomerase, this enzyme that that helps them. So that was exciting to find. The negative mind wandering was related to the opposite. And what I love about this finding is it really, it fits into our understanding that, well, there's chronological aging. The more we can live in the present 
and not feel the pressure of time and worrying and jumping ahead and feeling rushed, the more we can actually be in deep time and in flow states, our cells love that. Love it. Time When time seems to stand still, our, cell, our cells are probably shifting into restorative mode, repair mode. Yeah. And so it's to our benefit, like you said, not only for experiences of feeling more equipoise and more steady, less anxious, less depressed, more joyful even, but it literally affects our physiology. It literally affects our bodies. And I love how you gave that beautiful articulation. Thank you so much about how it's literally happening in our bodies. Like these telomeres literally are affected and our cells in turn are affected because of what our minds are doing. And that's what's so incredible. So like you said, our practices of mindfulness, of being in presence, of being in you know, a, a state of night hyper vigilance or hyper, you know, fight or flight all the time really impact how we look, how we age, how we feel, you know, most importantly. And so it's just so exciting and so fascinating. And you've been able to really, mm -hmm. um, you know, prove it, which is so astonishing. And I was wondering if you could even speak, please, to how the foods we eat, because you speak about that in your book, and our responses to emotional challenges, the amount of exercise we get, and how we were exposed to childhood stress, and the level of trust and safety in our neighborhoods, how all these factors really do interface with our relationships with depression, anxiety, and such. Yes, exactly. All of those factors you mentioned are ways that we create a stress state in the body, a chemical state in the cell that puts it on alarm mode. And so a junk food diet, soda, meat is one way not getting enough sleep puts us into a state of stress. So the body doesn't know the difference, whether it's because we're eating a junk food diet or whether we're, we're having a similar response from, you know, a poor a lifestyle behavior, being super sedentary. All of these are, there's not really, really specific signatures in the body. The body knows stress evolutionarily, and it wants to respond to that by saving our life. And so if it's getting stress signals all the time, then we're kind of wearing down more quickly. But the psychological stress, I'll, I'll comment on even more, because I do think that it is an umbrella on how we see the world. And it keeps us in a subtle hyperventilation mode so that we're breathing more shallowly. So it's changing our, likely changing our pH and our nervous system tone. And when we feel guarded, we're not in a place where we can really easily connect to the beauty and the magic in the world. And I love how you talk about connecting to the mundane and seeing the magical. We can't do that easily when we're in a vigilant mode. But when we can allow ourselves to feel safe and to loosen up that habitual state so that we feel uh, in touch with our body and our environment and nature. We can see things differently. We can see the beauty of what is in front of us. We can connect with each other more deeply. We can experience more of that deep time or Kairos time. And so managing stress well is just a huge one of the hugest factors in shaping 
our health and we don't notice it. And we get, you know, we have these habits of how we hold ourselves over time, but it's really just important to acknowledge we can't, we really can't go on leading a, a daily lifestyle when we're always feeling stressed. It's, it's one of the biggest favors we can do for ourselves to, to break that up. The mind body practices are so powerful. We know from research, they really damp down on the inflammatory pathways, on the gene expression pathways, on master controllers for inflammation like NF-kappa-B. And it doesn't matter if it's yoga, tai chi, meditation, They there is a common state that we get to. Our breathing slows, our parasympathetic nervous system, our vagal tone increases. And those are critical states that most people are missing. But you know, many of your listeners have made these a daily practice. And they're, they are beautiful. They are both survival practices as well as spiritual practices. There's just so much there that they can do for us. Mm, so, so riveting and lustrous, your answer. And it, it's so important because I think, you know, we are in this obviously, you know, dog-eat-dog, capitalistic, patriarchal society, most of us living and participating in. And so you said it, like the whole arena of stress management is so important. And so often I think people get into scenarios where they're waiting till the crisis to manage the stress, you know, and they know, okay, I have to do mm-hmm. certain things. Like I may, maybe I exercise a bit, you know, and, and the um, impetus for that is to look good on the outside or something. But, you know, this whole sector of life which we all have to face because we live in this you know hyper fast-paced modern day world without the um, encouragement to do internal work without the encouragement to take those pockets of peace pauses Mm -hmm. and to process stress we Mm -hmm. have to be the hero and heroine of our own stories and take that sword of discernment and carve out a whole section of our life for stress management, because if we don't, that's when I feel like people, um, you know, experience the crises and let's not wait until the crises. Let's do practices and, and rituals and daily habitual things to help ourselves because not only will the quality of our life be different, but as you're saying, the, the literal physiology and our literal bodies will respond differently and our life will mm-hmm. have much more longevity. Yeah. And I love how you speak about that. I couldn't agree more about your point that it's not just about coping with stress when something bad happens. And in fact, a huge point of my new book on stress, The Stress Prescription, is that we need to actually attack stress when we are relaxed. Yes. Because we're not really relaxed. We think we're relaxed. (laughs) So it's those times when, okay, we're all sitting here talking or listening. How relaxed truly is your body? How much is your nervous system at ease versus holding on to things unconscious or conscious. And we're, we do so much holding on to residue of stress. And so by how do we get to that? It really is doing these practices, letting ourselves get to these deep rest states and that builds stress resilience. I mean, I definitely feel it when I am uh, in a you know deadline or, or some state where I'm missing my practices. I'm I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not doing the things that I like to do to help me feel well. Yoga becomes like zero minutes. And 
I am so much more stress reactive. Mm. I become, you know, my whole threshold for stress has become so low and you can just feel it. You can monitor it. I monitor it with, you know, one of these biosensor rings. And so it's really getting at making our true resting state a true resting state, a, a state when we can actually let our nervous system be predominantly parasympathetic, not sympathetic, not fighting things that we have no control over that we might not even not be aware of that we're trying to yeah. Yeah. control. It's su- such a gorgeous answer. And it's I've been teaching meditation for decades now. And to me, I always say meditation is like when you take out the trash, like you always take it out. Like you might not think you have a lot of trash, right? But if you're not doing that consistently, if you're not doing practices that, you know, literally help you digest and then release Mm -hmm. stress, it will build up. And there's always some, like you said, and it's just because of the nature of the context of the times we live in and and the areas we live in. And Mm -hmm. I love what you spoke about with your ring. I want one of those rings, please. (laughs) But I, you know, it's just the consistent practices every day with my students, like mm-hmm. my college students, th- like I have a requirement that they meditate one to three minutes a day and they have to like, you know, track it and log it. And I do this with my adult teacher training students too and and coaching clients. And I'm always amazed how people, you know, will try to skip it and they'll admit it to me. And then they realize mm-hmm. they actually have one to three minutes a day. Like everyone can meditate for one to three minutes a day. And how by committing to that small, tiny amount of time, no matter if we have deadlines, no matter what, like even that is a game changer. People feel that Mm -hmm. because it's that consistency, you know, all the great ancient spiritual traditions that I'm aware of and have studied all talk about that consistency over time, even over quantity. And Mm -hmm. so it really makes sense because the cells, which is what, you know, you and I are talking about, they're always present all of the time. And as you said, Mm -hmm. they're always being impacted by the weather of your psyche and the Uh, the tsunamis of stress that you're, you're allowing to flow if we're not taking care in that way. So, Mm -hmm. so, so just profound. So thank you so much. Thank you. I love this metaphor of taking out the trash. (laughs) I'm, I'm going to think about that a lot. I, I think even when we're label realizing that we can't relax or labeling what is happening in our emotional life, that could be taking out the trash. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We're not having a peaceful meditation. We don't think we're taking out the trash. Sounds like, seems like we're noticing trash, but that is part of the work that, you know, when we recognize and get clarity on what our body is telling us, that is actually insight and knowledge and our cells, you know, instead of feeling the alarm bell, of stress, they're actually by naming and uh, recognizing emotions, expanding our emotion vocabulary. We think that that actually promotes this well-being, so that we're not turning on the alarm of stress in our body. Exactly, because we're present to what's showing up, as you're saying, and then we're present to what's happening in our bodies. Because I'm so much about mysticism, but the reason this podcast is called Modern Mystic is because I'm as much about being in my body as as I am a mystic, and I I've been practicing, you know, meditation and all these practices, which most of my listeners know now since I was five. And so for me, so much of the journey has been about really that 
completely, as you said, holistic and fully integrated living of being of this world and in this world and then connected to other realms too. And it's not one or the other. And how if we're not grounded, if we're not taking care of our bodies, if we're not being present to our psychological and psycho-spiritual states, right? If we're just off there, you know, in the Himalayas, meditating and not really, you know, traveling the etheric and astral planes, but not actually being embodied, then, you know, we end up getting into a nervous system crisis, I think, sooner or later, I've seen in people. And then we're not really birthing the fullest, most helpful, potent expression of our incarnation and lives, too, in being service to the world. So really gorgeous. I was wondering if you could speak about metabolic health, speaking of tangible, <laughs> embodied understandings in our psycho-spiritual realms, because I mean, first of all, maybe you could detail what metabolic health is to our listeners and my layperson's understanding. You know, it essentially means that it's how your body responds to food in a beneficial way and it can reduce conditions such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, stroke, kidney disease, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But I'd love to hear your wisdom on this, as food is a really charged topic for a lot of people. And um, yeah, we'd love your download gems, please. It's interesting that food is so tied up with our emotions. And a lot of our studies have been on understanding emotional eating and really compulsive eating, some more addictive eating, and how we can reverse that. Mm. And the what we found from our stress studies is that having insulin resistance. So like our glucose and our fasting insulin get high. That is a pre-diabetic state. We found that that is very sensitive to chronic stress. So for example, our, our young, healthy caregiving women have more of a pre-diabetic state of their metabolism than our controls or our lower stress women. And that's one of our biggest stress effects. So that we know is the, the stress response is driving that. But on top of that, if people are eating junk food, then we get this synergistic effect where they do build up the, the belly fat, the intra-abdominal fat, because that stress fat is there for times of emergency. And so if our body's under chronic stress, it wants to build up that fat pad. And junk food plus stress hormones is the perfect storm that creates that insulin resistance and that belly fat. And we, we have had some mild success helping people by training them in mindfulness and mindful eating. So reducing the level of stress, but also the level of kind of automatic snacking or binge eating on comfort food. Yeah. Those are both can be helped by having a train, you know, training ourselves to check in with our body, ask, do I feel, is this hunger or is this boredom or sadness? And really just rating how hungry do I feel right now? How, how full do I feel right now on a 10 point scale? Those are helpful tools for people if they can use them in the right moment, like right before a meal. Yeah. Cause they're pra so, practices, mm -hmm. you know, like you're saying that are so important and so helpful people really tuning into their bodies and getting fluent in 
what the sensations of their bodies are experiencing, which is what mindfulness and meditation can help us build that capacity to do. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. And just acknowledging having the self-compassion to understand that that stress response, that high cortisol is driving us to crave sugars and carbs. And and it's it's wanting to, it's our body saying, this is what you need right now. Mm-hmm. And so then it's up to us to say, okay, in moderation, or I'm going to, you know, do some push-ups instead or whatever it is how we decide to cope with it in a compassionate way of understanding this is just evolutionary body trying to help us (laughs) as you were talking about it's these small breaks we may not have time to drive to a gym or yoga class but it's these minutes that we can take to recenter is that can help everything we're talking about including riding out cravings it's the ability to breathe and label, label the craving, know that we don't have to give, give into it. It, these can happen in short moments. This is not like lifetime hours of lifetime practice that we're talking about. I was recently in Dharamsala actually just trying to understand it was a science meeting with his holiness. And one of the very first things he has said, and you may have heard him say this is the best medicine is peace of mind. Mm. It's inner comfort. It's our inner life that matters and drives our outer life. And so just remembering that, like that's, there's such simplicity, but also it says everything. It says so much about everything we're talking about, about trying to understand the mind-body connection and why these practices are so potent. Mm. These practices of understanding our consciousness being with being kind to ourselves and how our mind works and really trying to be in touch with the magic around us. I mean, that, that to me is really powerful medicine. Completely. And will literally preserve our telomeres in turn, <laughs> which is what's mm-hmm. so, 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 so <laughs> amazing. And I thank you for sharing that and, and for that wisdom that he imparted because it is so much, I know like in the, yoga tradition, which is my main squeeze tradition, you know, the goal is peace. The goal is ananda, it's called in Sanskrit, which means peace and contentment. You know, it's not happiness. It's not joy, you know, because Mm -hmm. of what he said. And that's, you know, beautiful to always, upon reflection, think about your life and really taking the arrow of your consciousness and always trying to aim it towards peace as the end game. Love that so Mm. much. So, I have so many things to ask you, but I know we need to wrap up. So I need to think about the the number one thing, which and I, I think is this. With you being on the cutting edge where science and psychology really co-mingle and really pushing that edge forward because you're truly a visionary and a leader, what's it like to be a woman, particularly in the scientific research community, which is so historically dominated by men? And you've been doing this for, it seems like well over two decades. And do you feel, I'm assuming that you've had to work harder to prove yourself and how has this impacted you professionally, personally, and can you share any lessons for other people who identify as women where they're in a realm that imbalance patriarchy and challenges associated with that exist and they're trying to, to forge a new frontier? That's a really big question for our last few minutes, <laughs> but I love it. So I I think that 
there are different ways of being in different environments. And I know how to be a reductionistic researcher in a medical school. I know that role extremely well, right? I've been here 25 years. Mm -hmm. And so there are, you know, there are rules and ways of being that are, that are the currency that's about partly in this world, it's partly about getting grants and studying, you know, outcomes that pe- that people NIH agrees is health relevant, and so that's a very safe prescribed area. For me, the challenge has been wanting to be my full self, not have a superficial professional, you know, face, but really being genuine about what I think, what I what I believe we should do as a scientific community of people and how we should be working together in team science. And I appreciated you crediting Liz and I with this field, but it's really team science. It's really relationships with other people and supporting Mm -hmm. them to do this type of work and, and do it well. And that has been something I've grown into more integrating my, my passion for, contemplative science, spirituality, the hum, the humility, the humbleness of knowing we can't measure all of the magic of the mind-body connection, what happens between us as people, what happens between us with nature, just the, the beauty of that, naming it, understanding that we're not, not going to prove certain things about our consciousness and our spirituality, but that they're important to acknowledge you know, when we bring someone into a room and we train them in a breathing technique, we, we're treating them like an organism, but there's a person, there's a whole person and context. <laughs> and, and so I think that bringing that conversation to our work, to in role model to younger people that, let, you know, work-life balance is important going on retreats, just like you do with your students. I really try to uh, encourage people, especially when they're coming to study mindfulness, to actually study themselves to realize that there's so much to learn from this you know one one body mind that we have and and that makes us a better scientist a better ask better questions and and truly see the limits of our materialistic science and how we need to bridge with other other traditions to get a better fuller answer about what we care about that was fantastic and very inspiring. So thank you. And I love how you talked about team science, because to me, that that seems very, you know, lunar and all inclusive and one might say feminine, you know, in the orientation, you know, when you said that. So, mm-hmm. so with such it, humility absolutely. and due to your bravery, like to because to do that in that world, to be, as you said, you know, a badass and rocking your things as you do with grants and and patriarchy and all the things, because it takes a lot to be in that world, I can only imagine, but then also to be so brave that you also showed, really, it's your authenticity. And, and, and in a way, you had to be vulnerable to bring in the mindfulness and to bring in things that might have been not taken as seriously and now proven them to be efficacious and effective. So just thank you so much for your pioneering work. Thank you so much for being here. How can folks find out about you and your work and your new book? Tell us. Thank you. It's just such a, it's so fun and such a pleasure to 
to talk about your questions, to talk about the mysticism in life and, and where does that live in, in our science. So thank you, Kilkenny. My pleasure. So my I've recently fi- finally have a personal website, and that's where I have some of my talks, for example, like with Lama Sultram, who I know you interviewed recently, mm. and retreats. I love leading retreats, particularly bringing together the experiential, the spiritual, and the science all in one. That's what we get to do on these retreats. Um, So the website is, it's just my name, elissaeppel.com. So it's E-L-I-S-S-A-E-P-E-L.com. And I also have this new book. It's Stress Prescriptions, Seven Days to More Joy and Ease. And it's all about the small nudges we can do each day. There's seven of them, but they're powerful. They're shown with research. They're ways to shift us out of that threat mode that we're so habituated to and into the sensory mode of being in the present and remembering what matters, remembering to feel joy or more of what you talked about, Kilkenny, ease, peace in the moments that we can. Mm. Scintillating, scintillating. I can't wait to even investigate more about what you're offering in the way of retreats and such. And I'm sure our listeners will be doing the same. I'm so excited because Dr. Apple has so generously offered my members who are monthly members, in addition to their yoga meditation, mystic hack video library, they're going to be receiving the gift from her, which is what is it again? Well, these chapter I'd love to give the 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 PDF of the new book, but I'm not a- allowed to. It doesn't come out till December. But I have some PDFs of sections that I think your people will be most interested in from the telomere effect. So, for example, the chapter on understanding the threat, challenge, stress response, and how that's associated with our physiology and our cell aging, and then another chapter on kind of the, what we think of as the exposome or how the environment outside gets inside of us, chemicals and nutrition and how that affects the telomeres. So I will be so happy to share those those two chapters with your audience. Thank you. So my members will look forward to that. There's just so much I learned about stress and aging and it was just incredibly helpful and just helped me feel inspired to live even a more healthy life. So thank you so much for offering my members that. I am so excited for my members to read this awesome and brilliant gift from Dr. Apple. If you aren't yet a member, head on over to my website and become a member for only $33 a month. That's it at modernmystic.love because you get so much and you can support yourself while getting my entire yoga, meditation, and mystic hack video library, which is on a gorgeous and it's really user-friendly, the platform. And it includes all sorts of phenomenal discounts and free offerings from my guests like Alyssa's phenomenal gift for you. I also offer powerful coaching work as well as astrology chart readings. So to book either one of these, you can head on over to modernmystic.love as well. Also, people can go to my new Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash modernmystic.love just to support the podcast because it takes copious amounts of love and energy and time and money to make this. So please, if you feel moved to support the podcast, go over there and you can donate as little as $3 a month and, and support this podcast. 
Dr. Apple, thank you so much for your years of commitment to your research. Um, your work has literally shifted the landscape, I think, in the scientific community and no doubt the lives of so many people because it's really just empowering. And it reminds us that we really do have more control and more jurisdiction over the quality of our lives in addition to the duration of them. So thank you for being with us today, mm. for downloading so much practical information and insightful wisdom. Thank you so much, Gilkenny. Truly my pleasure and honor. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for taking these words in. I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. It is so appreciated. Also, check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can find information about my very exciting monthly mystic membership. My members have unlimited access to a robust video library, which includes short videos that are easily digestible, sharing practical ways to integrate mystical living into your day-to-day -day life. These compelling videos cover topics such as how to ground, protect, and grow your energy, how to develop your psychic abilities, how to connect to your spirit team, shadow work, inner child work, tarot cards, lots of Western astrology, of course, in addition to syncing up with the rhythms of nature and so much more. I've gotten so much positive feedback that these videos are game changers for folks. Also included in the membership are over 100 alignment-based yoga classes of all different levels, meditation and breathwork classes, so you can work from the inside out or the outside in and up level yourself as you become the next version of you. Not to mention my mystic members get all sorts of bonus content and discounts from my visionary podcast guests. So check out modernmystic.love and take a peek there as there's a free sampling of some videos waiting for you. Lastly, if you are looking for some conscious conversation and compelling community, check out also our private Modern Mystic Podcast Facebook group. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time. Namaste. Namaste.